Good morning. Today's reading is Acts 14, verses 24 through 28. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Persia, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been con- commended to the grace of God for the work they had, been, they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Thank you, two people. I appreciate that. Good morning to you as well. I don't know what Alex was talking about with the two empty seats in the front row. I kind of like that because if I see people playing on their cell phones, have a seat. (laughs) Talking to your neighbor, have a seat. Today is Father's Day. I woke up this morning um, and after a brief time stumbled out into the living room as I normally do, like feeling for walls and things. Uh, My kids are usually in bed around the time that I get up, but they were all three awake which was really cool. And they said, we have a, dad, we made something for you. I'm like, yes. So we made you some cards. And I was like, hand them over. Let's see this. And we have hidden them, they said, throughout the entire house. And so before I'd had my first cup of coffee, that's what I got to spend the morning doing. The cards were lovely. They were really nice. Um, But yeah, it is Father's Day. You know, we've talked about it a couple times and we do this a lot at holidays, but it's so important. We're celebrating. One, there's people here in this room that have have been like fathers uh, to me. We have a lot of godly fathers in here who love their children, who have given. Um, You know, they're sinners just like all of us, but they've they've lived their life in such a way and love their kids in such a way that they're a light to others, and they show people what a good father is like, which is really cool. And then again, we all have some, I think, to some extent, we have all experienced some degree of brokenness with our own fathers, or if you are a father, we've experienced some degree of brokenness in relationship with our children. And so today can be a little bittersweet sometimes, but the important thing to remember is just that we do have a really, really good father. And that sounds so cliche. It sounds like something you would just say in church on Father's Day, but it's ridiculously true. Uh, and gives every one of us in this room a reason to celebrate. We have a really, really good father. We're going to learn about him uh, today in some aspects of his character. We're going to be in Acts chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, would you do me a favor and raise your hand so that we can get you one? And if you'd like a Bible in Spanish, just let whoever is passing them out know that you need that, and we can provide one of those for you as well. We want everybody to have a Bible that they can read and understand in their own language. Every week, it seems Dave, or like when Stephen preached, we talk about people who take these Bibles home and don't return them. That's me. They're talking to me week after week. I probably have eight of them. So if you need one, let me know. (laughs) Before we jump into this, let's pray. Father, we pray today that as we are taking a look at your word Father, that we would avoid the the pitfall that often comes with reading Scripture, which is for us to focus our gaze and our attention on people, on men, 
Lord, we do have heroes of our faith that you have provided to us, but they are very much broken heroes. And every good thing that they do, and they willingly admit it, is a direct result of your Holy Spirit working in them and your work in their lives. I pray that as we're reading your word this morning that we would be tremendously aware of who is the hero of the story and that we would come to see you as our good father and learn some, some things about who you are, about your character. Lord, give us eyes to see that this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm preaching through all of Acts chapter 14 this morning. It is a, it's 28 verses. If you've ever had to, I don't imagine most of you have, but if you've ever had to preach through a large portion of Scripture, this is one of these things that really stresses me out. I'm going to be honest. I have a hard time taking a look at that much and not, not falling into this pitfall of trying to very neatly tie everything together. Right? That, there's a lot of things that are happening in Acts chapter 14. There are a lot of things that are happening. There are a lot of places that are being visited. And I was struggling with this as I was preparing. It wasn't until I got to the end of the chapter, verse 27. I want to paint the picture for you. Paul and Barnabas have have been traveling, and in every place that they've gone to, they've experienced some level of success They've also experienced some failure. They've especially experienced tribulation and trial and pain. And so you would expect that at the end of that tremendous journey, when they get the opportunity to share what's happened, the opportunity to point the light at themselves, to put the spotlight on themselves and talk about all that they had done and all that had happened to them, the potential there is extremely great. And the potential for us as readers of Scripture to look through this and not be in awe of Paul and Barnabas is very great as well. They did some really cool things. And we see a lot of character. We see a lot of endurance, right? We see a lot of perseverance. We see some really cool things in Paul and Barnabas. And the propensity for us to look at that and to have our gaze directed towards them, to have our affections poured out on them, is great. And I think that's why Paul says, I want to put it up here, verse 27 When they arrived together with the church, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that who? God had done. They declared all that God had done with them and how who? He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. When you read this first and you understand, when Paul looks back at everything that's just happened, he sees it through this lens, and he's very careful to make sure that everyone else who hears this story does the same. The story that he's not telling, is a, it's, it's not a Paul story. It's a God story. The things that happened were not things that Paul and Barnabas did. They were things that God did with them. It was a door that God opened. And when you go back and you read through chapter 14 again after knowing that, 
and looking through that filter, looking through that lens, you begin to see some really cool characteristics of God. We get to know and learn something about our Father. I'm not trying to turn chapter 14 into like a Father's Day message because the entire Bible is a book about a good father. Every, every page whispers that to some extent. He is a good father. And we're going to learn some really cool things about him. Specifically, I want to show you in chapter 14 today, God's relentless pursuit of his children. Let's read together. Beginning in verse 1. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. We saw this recently, and it was talked about in here, about how when they would go into a new community, they would first, first start preaching to the Jews who had some basis for belief, something that they could build off of. And they were following the commandment of Jesus in that regard as well. So they went into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. What I want to point out to you here specifically takes place in between verses 2 and 3. They preach a message and many people believe. But there's a group there that is unbelieving. We saw many Jews saved that day. We saw many Gentiles saved that day. But there was a remaining group of those who were unbelieving. And they began to poison people's minds against the apostles, against Paul and Barnabas. Specifically, when it talks about poisoning their minds, it means it's setting their minds on violence against them. They want them to just hate them. It's not an intellectual, like, hey, here's this theological discussion and why they're wrong. It's just a very emotional, we don't like these people, we need them gone. And so, rather than leave, they stayed there a long time. When you look at that through the lens of Paul and Barnabas, that's cool. But when you look at that through the lens of who is doing these things, this is the acts of who? God. We see God in relentless pursuit of his children. There are people in Iconium whom God loves. There are people in Iconium who are yet to be saved. There are people in Iconium for whom the importance of a church being established is very, very real. The opportunity to run away was there, but God does not run away when presented 
with trouble. And I want you to take that for a moment and just look at that in contrast to us. We live in a culture that has got this idea about negative people. And if you've spent any amount of time on Facebook and you start scrolling through and you see this really pretty quote, right? It's like a nice backdrop with some sweet font. It usually says something like this. This is, this is what happens when you type in negative people quotes into Google image search. The first thing that comes up, life is short. Don't waste it with negative people who don't appreciate you. Keep them in your heart, but keep them out of your life. Paul and Barnabas, life is short. Don't spend it in Iconium. Don't spend it with negative people who don't appreciate you. Another quote, cutting people off doesn't have limits. Family can get cut off too. If they're causing you stress. Let me ask you this. How many of you have a family member that does not cause you stress? Just raise your hands. Good, we're all honest people in here. There's not a single person in our lives, I believe, that doesn't, to some degree, cause us some stress. I'm looking at my mother-in-law, whom I love. She's one of my favorite people. Have you ever caused me stress? Yeah, have I caused you stress? Yeah, I've stressed you out. Like the ch- but we love each other. What if, I just, what if we just said, what if we said, uh, family's not off limits, you caused me stress, we're done. What if God treated us that way? Let me... Let me Okay, put a couple caveats on that. Some of you are living in relationship with people who are abusive. I'm not talking to you. Some of you are living living in a relationship with someone who either physically or mentally is abusing you. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those of us who would say or who have been taught to believe that if anybody causes us any level of discomfort or pain or negativity or pushes against us or disagrees with us or doesn't vote the way that we do or who doesn't raise their kids the way that we do, that we should instantly, if they make us feel anything other than wonderful, we should push them out of our lives. God does not treat you that way. God does not treat you that way. He pushes in. And when you start to poison, when your mind is poisoned against him, he stays a long time. He pushes in further. Amen? Praise God. He is a good, good father. For us, us, it can be simple to just cut people out of our lives at the first sign of trouble. But for God, that's not the case. Now we see as time goes on that it becomes evident that they're making plans to stone Paul and Barnabas. That's the point where they go, we can't continue our mission if we're dead going to put a little bit of a, a damper on things. And so they move, they move forward. We see in verse 8, I'm going to read a large chunk of scripture here. It's a good thing, I tell myself. Now, now at Lystra, this is actually really interesting. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. 
He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring to you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Have you guys seen Return of the Jedi? I love movies. I love movies. If you go to Casa Video on a Sunday after church, you will find my family and I at Casa Video picking out our movies for the week almost without fail. And it's awesome. They give you popcorn when you come in. It's great. I like to plug that place wherever I can. Visit Casa Video. But if you watch a lot of movies, one thing that you'll start to recognize is there's something called, it's a, it's a story device that they use in films and TV. It's called a God Guise. And the God Guise is this. Your main character is suddenly confused for a God. And normally what we see, like in Return of the Jedi or Fifle Goes West, you guys remember Tiger is Confused for a God in that movie, right? Stargate, 1994 version, they're confused for gods. You see it in uh, The Road to El Dorado. It's in like every film. It's, it's, used, it's overused. But what do we see in those cases? They utilize the fact that people have believed that they are gods to their own advantage. In every single one of those cases, they take advantage of the people and use it in an effort to meet their own ends. Paul and Barnabas could have done the same thing. They could have said, yeah, sure, we're Zeus and Hermes, Let us tell you about Jesus and build us a church. Give us money and help us to fund our mission. These men have the Spirit of God living in them, and when they find out that people believe that they are the one true living God, they don't just disagree, they rip their clothes. Because the idea of people and their affections being drawn to anyone other than the one true living God. That breaks God's heart. And he makes war against it. Our God, in his relentless pursuit of his children, he does not take advantage of you, and he does not leave you to your own devices so that you can worship something other than him, because he loves you too much. Some of you in this room, you have 
you have set up for yourself a life that was entirely devised in order to reach some type of end that was not God. Some of you are still in that. Some of you are on the other side of it. And God in his great love for you has absolutely crushed whatever you've put your hope in that wasn't him. Some of you in this room are here today because you need to hear some true things about God because you've started to believe in a God that's not the God of the Bible. And when he sees that in you as his child, he cries out, do not believe in these vain things. Put your trust and your hope in the one true living God. Praise God that he does not allow us to just continue in that darkness. Praise God that he loves us enough that he continues to make war against our idols and against our false, our false gods. Praise God that he doesn't take advantage of you. And some of you in this room, you've been taken advantage of. You have been used by people. You have been rejected by people. Praise God that he doesn't treat you the way that other people do. Some of you in here have used people. Praise God that he's still willing to forgive you on the other side of that and teach you how to love like he does. In verse 19, this is while there's... They're still in Lystra where this has just happened. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned Pay very close attention to this. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, where in chapter 13 they were expelled. They went back and they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. When you look at, at Paul, when you look at Barnabas, and you see what they've endured. It's easy to imagine that if we were in the same position, you go to Antioch, you're persecuted. You go to Iconium, you're persecuted. You go to Lystra, you're persecuted. Finally, in Paul's case, you're stoned and left for dead. Somehow, miraculously, you survive. It's at this point that most of us, I think, would get up, shake the dust from our feet, and say, there's no way in the world I'm stepping back into those places. After all that I've endured, after all that I've encountered, after all that I've been put through, there's no way that I'm going back to those places. And what does Paul do? He heads back. 
He goes back to Antioch. On his way back to Antioch, he stops at every place where people still, if they find out that he's alive, they're going to try to kill him. And he stays in those places long enough to appoint elders and to begin building churches. And again, if we look at this through the lens of God and what he's doing, how much does God love the people of Lystra? How much does he love the people of Iconium? That he would care that there be churches there with qualified elders preaching the gospel in and out every week, caring for widows, caring for orphans. Look at God's relentless pursuit of his children. He doesn't run away. He doesn't reject after so many opportunities. And I don't want to say that he just keeps doing this forever. Maybe not in some cases, but man, you see it on full display here. This God who just loves, loves, loves. There's not one child, I can tell you that, there's not one child in one of these places of his that he's not going to get to, that he's not going to purchase, that he's not going to bring into his family. And I want, I want to take a moment here and just let, let this sit. Some of you in this room today have been invited here by a friend, by a family member. Some of you in this room today were driving down the road, potentially, and saw a sign that said Redemption Church, and you haven't been in a church in some time, and somehow you wandered into this place. Some of you, that's how you got here. And here you are, you're sitting in, in, in seats designed for elementary school children, listening to a guy drone on and on about a book, standing up and sitting down and standing up and sitting down and standing up and sitting down and singing songs that you don't understand the words to. But you're here. I want to ask you something. Is there a chance that maybe you're here not just because a friend invited you or a family member invited you or just because you're here on a whim? Is there a chance that God is relentlessly pursuing you? Can you look back on your life and see time after time after time where God could have said, I'm done with you, and yet he continues to pursue you, continues to, to put people in your life to just rock your world. Consider the fact that maybe you're here this morning, and this is the first time that you've had to keep glancing at a cross over and over and over again. And in that cross, we're given the clearest glimpse of God's relentless pursuit of his children when he gave up his own son to die on a Roman cross in a horrific way so that our sins could be paid for and that he would rise again three days later so that we would have the promise of eternal life. Maybe you consider that this morning and you don't have to look at that the rest of the week or the rest of the year. Maybe God's relentlessly pursuing you. 
Because I tell you what, there's a number of us in this room, a number of us who are saved, who are on the other end of this, where we put our faith in Jesus and have been walking with him for a while. And we look back and we see it written everywhere. God was pursuing us. God was chasing after us. Some of you in here were raised in a church and you walked away from it. And you know how many people walk away from church and never come back to it. Here you are sitting in here this morning because God has relentlessly pursued you because he loves you, because he is a good father who's not ready to abandon his kids. I wasn't going to share this, but I remember a time in my life we were living in Phoenix I was working as a cook, and my, my chef, two days into me working there, in casual conversation next to a kitchen sink, it's like, hey man, so what's up? God's pers- God, God wants you to come back to him. Why are you running away? It's just like, you don't know me. I'm holding a knife. I was like, it was weird. It was one of those weird moments, but it's like, forget about this. And he just kept bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. Dude, God loves you. Why are you running away from the church? God loves you. Why are you running away from him? I get a call because I had worked with youth prior to this. I get a call from a guy that I used to know. Hey, Jared, we have, a, we have an opportunity for you to work with some youth. Would you like a job? Would you like to move out of Phoenix and and come work at this church. And I laughed. Because there was no way in the world that I was going to go back to God. I just felt, I felt broken. I felt, I felt disappointed. The same week that that guy called and made that offer, somebody with a gun tried to break into our apartment one night. Thankfully, the police got there quick enough. And he was arrested. I called that guy back the next day. I was like, I want to come work at that place that you were telling me about. That sounds really cool, really awesome. And I wish that I could say that that was just the one time, but there's been so many times over the course of my life where God has just introduced people in an effort to bring me back to him. And it wasn't because he wanted me to like come do some awesome thing with youth. I'm not that good of a youth pastor. It's because he loved me and I'm his kid. And I was pursuing my own devices. I was pursuing my own ends. And he said, no, stop worshiping after those vain things. Come back to me. Let's read the last portion of the scripture, beginning in verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Persia, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. So how do we respond to this? There's a few different ways. Some of us need to respond in different ways this morning. Some of us need to quit acting like we're special. Some of us in the church need to stop pretending that we're as necessary as we think we are. Even the stones will cry out. Even the stones will cry out if there's no one there to worship him. 
If Paul had died, would God's mission have stopped? If he hadn't gotten up, would God's mission have stopped? Would his relentless pursuit of his children ended? No. We know that it wouldn't because Paul would eventually die. He would eventually be executed. And the church would continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. We're not that necessary. And some of us need to repent of the belief that we are the heroes of this story. We're not. God is. God absolutely is. Some of us need to respond just in worship. As you look back over your life, I want to share, a, there's, a, there's a quote in there somewhere. There it is. Tim Keller shared this. Certainly we should be very active in seeking God, and Jesus himself calls us to ask, seek, knock in order to find him. Yet those who enter a relationship with God inevitably look back and recognize that God's grace had sought them out, breaking them open to new realities. How many of you can resonate with that? Yeah, a lot of us, hopefully. Some of us need to just worship God this morning, looking back over the fact that he didn't reject us, he didn't abandon us, he didn't use us, he didn't manipulate us. He loved us and brought us into right relationship with himself, and it cost him a lot. We need to recognize that. We get to sing some songs this morning about it. That's cool. And lastly, some of us need to respond this morning by acknowledging that God is relentlessly pursuing you and will continue to relentlessly pursue you if you are his and until you acknowledge him. Until you come into right relationship with him. If you've never responded to God in that way, if you've never stopped, I would just encourage you right now in this moment, in this day, Say, you got me. You're not going to regret it 10 years from now. But I can promise you, you'll absolutely regret the opposite. Don't miss out on what he's offering and don't miss out on his pursuit. There's somebody out there that loves you. After everybody who hasn't done that well, there's somebody out there who's done it very, very well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that we're able to see you this morning pursuing us. And I pray, Lord, that every time we pick up our Bibles, and I, I pray that that would be often, that we would see always, even in the acts of men, your pursual, your love, your rescuing, your kindness. I pray, Lord, that we would be given this tremendous vision of you as Father, one that is completely satisfying to us, Lord, even as we perhaps mourn some of the brokenness in our own families. I pray, Lord, for the men in this room today who are fathers, that, that you would bless them with a time of uh, just loving and enjoying their families. Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.